welcome to 13, the bi-weekly podcast that asks 13 questions of Colgate community members. I'm your host, Daniel DeVries, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming to the podcast Colgate's Chief Information Officer, Naranjan Davre. Davre stepped into his role in August of 2019 after serving in various information technology service roles at Kenyon College. At Colgate, Davre leads the team that manages all of the university's technology systems, including classroom technology. Davre is an active member of the nonprofit association EDUCAUSE, serving as a member of its advisory committee on diversity, equity, and inclusion. He is also a, an alumnus of the Leading Change Institute's class of 2014. Davray earned his Bachelor's of Engineering in Electronics and Telecommunications Engineering from Mumbai University, his Master's in Science from SUNY Polytechnic Institute, and an MBA from The Ohio State University. Naranjan, welcome to 13. Thank you so much, Dan. All right. So tell me about the role of Chief Information Officer. Uh, thank you for that question. Uh, the, the, the role of technology has evolved over the years. Uh, in some ways, a CIO, uh, the chief information officer, has to be a business leader that understands the business of the institution and makes sure that the people, process, and technology are aligned uh, to, to, to enable the mission of the institution. Uh, as a CIO, uh, I want to ensure that uh, the, the technology uh, as well as uh, the systems are able to uh, not only uh, sort of help with the processes and uh, uh, and the functions of the offices, but also the data that is generated, uh, making sure that that data can be used for uh, informed decision making to ensure that uh, the, the the mission of that office is met. And, and finally, the CIO wants to uh, be a collaborative partner in understanding um, who the, the, the colleagues across the institution are and ensuring that um, through technology, we are creating value uh, for our stakeholders across the board. I imagine it's changed a lot through the years too in that the, the technology's obviously changed and there was a time probably where the CIO had to worry about punch cards and giant rooms of computers yeah. and now I guess things have gotten smaller. Uh, th th things have definitely gotten smaller in some ways, but vast and expanded in another way. So the CIO is not only thinking about uh, sort of the nuts and bolts uh, and the, the equipment on your desk or the, or the machines in the server room, but, but the main role is uh, through an integrative approach, uh, thinking about how technology is helping solve problems in the lives of our students, faculty, staff, um, and the community in, in general, um, again, to, in, the, in the mission mission of the institution. And um, at Colgate, uh, we, we have a, a template for success, which is called the third century plan. Uh, the role of technology is, is evident in each and every aspect of this plan. Uh, whether it is enhancing uh, student life, bringing the best faculty, student, and staff, ensuring research computing happens at the best level possible, um, um, ensuring that uh, technology is well integrated into the, the buildings and the capital projects that are happening, 
um, or for that matter, making sure that as we continue to build this strong community, uh, the technology is allowing us to solve uh, any problems uh, or technology is allowing to bridge the gap uh, amongst our communities and bringing us closer. I imagine it's a it's a 24-hour job too. I mean, does do you get a call at two in the morning when the Wi-Fi goes down? Uh, although I don't get a call two in the morning when Wi-Fi goes down, my colleagues definitely do get a call <laughs> when Wi-Fi goes down. There are other calls uh, that come in at, at all hours and it is certainly a 24-7, uh, 24-7 job. And um, uh, thinking about uh, uh, cybersecurity, thinking about uh, the wellness, uh, thinking about uh, access uh, to data, uh, those are some of the most uh, crucial elements when it comes to um, the kinds of things that are on mind of the CIO. So what is, we say ITS here, uh, Information Technology Services at Colgate, what, what exactly does that, what falls under that umbrella here? Uh, so ITS is uh, involved in with many things. Uh, we are very uh, a broad-based organization, um, everything from cybersecurity to uh, digital media events, uh, classroom technology, to learning and applied innovation. Uh, we have a group that is thinking about data analytics and decision making. Uh, we have a group uh, that focuses on uh, service uh, service desk, uh, thinking about engagement and support and outreach. We have uh, folks that are continuously thinking about emerging technologies such as XR, VR. Uh, we have folks that are also working with faculty when it comes to uh, uh, research computing and high-performance computing. We have colleagues uh, uh, where their job is to think about the infrastructure when it comes to networking, the systems, the servers, uh, data centers. We are continuously thinking about what our role is when it comes to cloud. Uh, we are also thinking about enterprise applications. We have several applications at Colgate. We are best of breed when it comes to the, the number of applications that we have. So we, we want to support all those applications and thinking about how to integrate those applications. So we have folks uh, on a daily basis uh, working across the board uh, in service of the institution. How many people do you oversee in ITS? Uh, we, we have a staff of uh, 46 uh, full-time employees. Uh, additionally, we, we have anywhere between 60 to 100 uh, student workers uh, and additionally, about five casual wage workers. Oh, wow. And I've met them at the service desk. I, I absolutely love the service desk. They are so helpful for any time I have problems with my computer, if I need to borrow something. It's amazing the things that you can borrow from the service desk. That's, that's right. From yeah. chargers to, can you take out drones? Not yet, but that is something that we should think about. <laughs> <laughs> Although if you know to ask the right person, I'm sure you could do it. So. <laughs> I have uh, I've, I've borrowed a lot of equipment from from them through the years. So um, I'm curious as to some of the classroom technology that your team supports. What exactly uh, is in the classroom that goes beyond just a computer and a screen, or um, you know, anything beyond the chalkboard? What what do you folks help with? Yeah, this is, this is a great question. So when we think about uh, classrooms, we want to think about the purpose of that space. 
uh, first and foremost, it is used for teaching and the pedagogical purposes uh, and how faculty want to use it. So we want to cater to the needs of the faculty. So sometimes it is a uh, straight-up classroom with a, a bunch of rows uh, and uh, a, a, a nice podium uh, and, a, and a kiosk where a faculty member could stand uh, have a have a screen um, and and a chalkboard or a whiteboard. Uh, in other cases, it is much more sophisticated. Uh, so you have uh, cameras that are facing front and back of the classroom. You have uh, microphones that are uh, placed in various uh, ceiling uh, ceiling areas uh, for for uh, for assistive listening as well as uh, interacting from a video conferencing purposes. We also have furniture that is laid out uh, to meet certain pedagogical needs. Uh, we continuously think about the interaction of uh, the furniture with the technology, with the style of teaching that happens in there, uh, with, with the lighting and, and, and beyond. So uh, a classroom uh, that is flexible in nature can be transformed for many purposes. Uh, sometimes they are used for event spaces, sometimes they're used for performances, and sometimes they're used for casual conversations. So we, we, we focus sometimes on classrooms uh, so that they can offer the best flexibility possible. Uh, then there are specialized classrooms where maybe it's an auditorium or a theater, uh, and the focus of that is a performance. So, uh, so we want to ensure that we are uh, supporting uh, the classroom as it is intended. Uh, and beyond. As someone who's kind of intimately involved with the technology in the classroom, I'm curious about where you see it going. What are some of the new technologies that maybe ITS is looking into now or you think um, may be available in the future that could be implemented in a, in a Colgate classroom? Uh, th this is a great question. As we think about the capital projects and the new buildings that are coming up, uh, especially if you think about uh, the Olin expansion or the, the the building that is the Benton Center for uh, Creativity and Innovation, uh, or the other buildings that that are uh, scheduled to be to be built, uh, we are continuously thinking about like what's next when it comes to classroom uh, technology and uh, classroom usage. Um, in the conversations, we are definitely thinking about uh, flexibility. Uh, so those classrooms uh, that can be used both for from a computer lab perspective or a performance perspective, um, or they are used for uh, for a lecture perspective. There are different kinds of uh, lectures that happen. Uh, those that have tremendous amount of interaction, uh, and those that uh, where the faculty member wants the students to focus in front of the classroom. So, in some ways, certain classrooms are just to make sure that they, they, they meet those pedagogical goals. Uh, in other ways, uh, we are thinking about what's new and next. Uh, as part of our standardization, we want to have assistive technologies built in, so that way no one feels that if they are part of a classroom, they cannot fully participate in the, the experience. So that is something that uh, we, we will be making more standard as the new classrooms come about. We are certainly thinking about uh, the new screens, the new projectors that, that are available, those that are brighter, those that um, uh, work very well uh, in multiple uh, use cases. Uh, there are screens, uh, there are TVs in certain classrooms. 
uh, that are getting thinner and thinner. In fact, there is now rollable TV available. So that is something that is uh, we will be exploring in the near future. Uh, projector screens are becoming more and more high-tech. Uh, whiteboards that are interactive, uh, we are already using those in some places. Short throw projectors allowing us to maximize the use of the space. Uh, writable screens, these are just some of the technologies that we think about. Uh, we also want to ensure that video conferencing is not forgotten. Uh, our pandemic experience showed us that uh, sometimes we will need um, to include somebody that is not physically present in the classroom. But also there are opportunities where we may have an event going on and you want somebody across the world participating in your event. Having those technologies readily available in the classroom uh, and not having to worry about them last minute uh, is crucial. And that is something that we are definitely thinking about in the new buildings. It's nice to hear that you're involved in the discussions before the buildings are built. Right? I imagine it's difficult from an ITS perspective to work on uh, or to kind of backward engineer a space that maybe was built in the 1900, early 1900s uh, to now. And uh, how, how, is, how is ITS involved? Are you involved in the planning process as they move forward for each one of these buildings? Uh, so uh, I, I will give a nod to uh, our progressive uh, uh, sort of v, uh, associate VP for capital projects, uh, uh, Steve Hughes. Uh, he, he has been very inclusive when it comes to discussions, especially for the academic buildings uh, but also thinking about uh, lower campus neighborhoods uh, and, and those buildings that are coming up there. Um, having uh, participated in the programming aspect when it comes to the Benton Center or the, uh, the Olin expansion, uh, it is great to be able to get feedback from the faculty in the way they are going to use the building. So the technology that goes in there uh, is retrofitted for the way they intend to use the building. Uh, and not as an afterthought. So this is extremely crucial. Uh, so I hope that this is something that we can continue to think about uh, as we enter um, a phase of uh, construction on our campus to not only help uh, uh, ensure that we are keeping up uh, with the technology needs of the future, but also sort of meeting the current needs of the users of that space. Uh, so again, I... Uh, applaud the partnership uh, with with Steve Hughes, uh, and also the 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 partnerships with uh, um, the faculty members who have um, been very collaborative in thinking about uh, how to use these spaces. You touched on it a little bit in your last answer, but I'm very curious as to how the pandemic um, impacted ITS here at Colgate. And I imagine um, since so much of the world went online uh, and remote during, uh, you know, the height of the pandemic, the first and second waves, um, how did that impact your team? How did you folks manage day-to-day -day life um, doing that support work that you're so relied upon? And what things did you have to figure out in order to support uh, an entire campus moving to a remote learning? Yeah, the, thank you for that question. Um, I, I came to Colgate in August of 2019. So uh, so the pandemic was maybe, uh, the impact of the pandemic started, we're starting to be felt maybe six months uh, after my arrival. Uh, and at first, uh, we were just trying to figure out what this meant. It was very clear, seeing data across the world, 
of what was happening, that this was something that we needed to play, uh, pay close attention for. Uh, and so working with uh, various uh, areas on campus, um, especially the EOC at the time, uh, it was clear that uh, we, we were going to have to make a, a drastic change uh, in order to ensure that we can uh, complete that semester. Uh, so overnight, um, with, with conversations with many people across the campus, um, we, we were thrown into uh, sort of a emergency uh, operation uh, when it comes to uh, almost everything on campus. Uh, and I'm, I'm very proud to say that um, my colleagues uh, within ITS played a crucial role in ensuring that they, they, they could support the best way they can um, w without uh, sort of uh, no knowing uh, what the future held. Uh, the best way they can, the operation of the institution. Uh, but once it was clear that this was not a one week or one month uh, endeavor, uh, I will applaud um, the, the efforts um, of, of the EOC, uh, but I can never forget the, the phone call that I got from President Casey. Uh, and uh, his call was uh, uh, that he was forming a, a task force uh, and I, I felt the biggest honor of my life uh, uh, to be um, um, on that task force and co-leading co this task force. Um, and uh, his words were, um, anything that you need, Niranjan, um, um, he, he, you have my full support. Uh, so I can never forget that. Um, the, the, it was the highest honor. That's great. Um, and so... Um, with support from um, provost and dean of faculty, Tracy Hux, with support from President Casey, we embarked upon uh, what would look like um, uh, when it comes to the fall of 2020 uh, and the, the way teaching would happen. So uh, with a group of colleagues um, uh, from faculty and uh, uh, ITS, uh, the, the, the task force, we, we decided um, uh, that we would focus on what was needed uh, from technology perspective, but also from what it meant uh, when it comes to um, on emergency online teaching. Mm. Uh, and I will always thank my uh, co-chair of the task force, uh, Professor Eddie Watkins, uh, in ensuring that uh, we were able to successfully um, uh, come up with plans uh, to to uh, to support uh, support the campus, uh, but mostly remote teaching. Uh, when it comes to to uh, the pandemic, uh, when it comes to the ITS faculty, uh, it was very clear that we needed to move our operations online, and um, not not a single person sort of said, "Oh, uh, I'm not sure what what needs to happen, what what I need to do." Uh, it was quite clear to them that the operation of the university must go forward. Uh, so our colleagues in uh, CDME, that is classrooms, digital media, and event support, uh, they were first and foremost uh, heavily engaged in outfitting more than 140 spaces for remote learning. Mm. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a very quick uh, sort of turnaround time, uh, but I feel proud to say that we, we did it very successfully. Uh, this, this included exploring new technology, ensuring things worked. Uh, we had some bumps along the way, uh, but, but these spaces included uh, not just traditional teaching and learning spaces, but also uh, non-traditional spaces such as tents. 
and a basketball court. So, <laughs> so outfitting those spaces with, uh, with technology was an interesting challenge, which I'm proud to say that my colleagues um, passed with flying colors. Uh, when it came to um, how, how we would operate remotely, I think Zoom came to the rescue. <laughs> uh, we, we were uh, quite, quite um, um, sort of uh, quick to say that Zoom is going to be our uh, video conferencing software of choice. Uh, and so we were able to quickly uh, implement that. Uh, we held several, uh, if not hundreds, um, it feels like hundreds of trading sessions for people to come in and learn um, how to um, engage with Zoom, how to uh, hold meetings, how to have engaging conversations. Uh, th those, those were some of the things that we had to do. Um, and um, uh, the, the other piece was uh, being part of the Emergency Operations Command. Uh, I got to see the operation of the university from a very different perspective. Uh, I feel like I, I, I knew more uh, about the operation of the university um, uh, through that uh, than I would have uh, during that same time otherwise. So uh, there is some silver lining to this. Uh, but again, the, the support that I got from my colleagues, the support that ITS received from uh, across the institution, uh, the support from uh, again, President Casey and a Provost and Dean of Faculty, Tracy Hux, from the alumni, from the Board of Trustees was incredible. And I can never forget um, how much that allowed us to be able to uh, be responsive uh, to, the, to the needs of the, the hour uh, for pandemic support. Uh, when it came to administrative um, uh, activities, uh, again, we were already uh, thinking about like what's next when it comes to digital transformation. So it, it, it accelerated a few things for us, mm. uh, like things such as um, on-base, things such as um, um, moving to the cloud. So we, 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 we were tiptoeing um, when it came to the cloud, but we, we decided to move uh, very, very cautiously, but very, very uh, immediately in some ways. Uh, into the cloud, so we had some uh, workloads in the cloud when it came to um, workstations, uh, when it came to some research that was happening, uh, otherwise would have happened on campus, but now happened uh, in the uh, AWS platform, so. I'm gonna ask you to explain a little bit there, because yeah. I hear cloud and I think yeah. Cumulus Nimbus or yeah. uh, Stratus. <laughs> no, <clears throat> I, honestly, it was, um, it's a good segue, because I was gonna ask, what you learned from the pandemic or what you did during the pandemic that maybe will carry over. Right. And the switch to the cloud, I, I presume you mean Colgate used to run its own computer servers? Yeah, so we, we still run quite a bit of our computer servers. Uh, but when it comes to cloud, uh, the, we, we, we are already thinking about what it meant uh, for software to be in the cloud. So hmm. software as a service. Okay. So, so so be our new advancement platform, be our new admissions platform. These are already uh, in the cloud. Uh, if you can uh, call Google the cloud, so our Google suite uh, is already in the cloud. Okay. Uh, but when it comes to uh, infrastructure as a service, so 
uh, the, the the servers that you have in your data center, the um, the server, the machines that you have um, under your desk. Um, when you think about infrastructure, um, these are the these are the um, opportunities that we have uh, to explore what it would mean to be in the cloud, and and that just means that uh, you're running your operation in a different data center somewhere else geographically diverse uh, in the world. So uh, be it Amazon Web Services or Microsoft Azure, uh, you, you can imagine uh, that you're running servers uh, in, in the cloud, uh, which means that you're running your services in those, uh, in those uh, data centers that are Amazon or Microsoft. So tell me a little bit about how Colgate approaches cybersecurity. I've read stories time and time again of different places, schools being bombarded with these cyber attacks. And I presume there are people trying to steal information or data or financial information. How does Colgate defend against malactors? And are we a regular target? Uh, th th thank you for the question. Uh, uh, cybersecurity is something that is... Um, on top of mind uh, for anyone in my role, and uh, this is something that we think about uh, day in day out, uh, because higher education in general is is a uh, is is a target. Uh, uh, we be our belief that uh, we want to share um, share share things with each other. Our belief that we want to be open in the way we communicate um, and the way we are, um, the who we are, um, because it it. Because of this, we become um, a, a target of, of uh, as you said, the mal actors. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so when it comes to cybersecurity, it is not one thing or two things that we do. Uh, it is a series of things um, uh, that that we undertake. Um, uh, I, I like to always think about it uh, that it, it is uh, we we have layered security like an onion. So as onion has many layers, uh, so does uh, our cybersecurity. And, and there's no no one uh, technology that you can say like oh implement this, uh, although I would say the multi-factor authentication goes a long way uh, <laughs> uh, in uh, keeping us secure. Uh, but but be it intrusion prevention systems, uh, be it firewalls, be it um, uh, sort of port access that is uh, monitored, be it uh, security incident and event management system, be it our policies that we have in place. Uh, it is a combination of many of those things. Uh, and, and this is something not just that we have to do it because we want to keep um, our system safe, but we do it because we want to keep our data safe uh, in order to ensure that we have our day-to-day -day, uh, way of life protected. Uh, as part of cybersecurity, uh, we want to ensure that um, we are, uh, some things that we, we all think about is we, we have good passwords that we, uh, they, they're nice and long. Uh, we use multi-factor authentication, as I already mentioned. Uh, we are very, very careful when we click on things, uh, ensuring that we don't fall victim to um, uh, scams that come to us in an email. Um, the, the big, big concern always these days is malware and ransomware attack. Uh, you see uh, in news, uh, that there are institutions that are heavily affected because of this. Uh, and those are the kinds of things that we want to ensure that we are uh, protecting our institution against. And so 
Um, so again, this is this is a huge area for us. Um, uh, there, there, there are regulations that are now coming into play uh, because um, uh, this is not just a one person or one institution issue. This is an issue across the board. Uh, and speaking of which, um, insurance companies are also thinking about what it means uh, to have a good security posture because the way they they uh, they are providing insurance now has completely changed than what it was five years ago, and so it has become increasingly difficult uh, because of the 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 landscape of higher education has changed. So ultimately, if we can make a risk based approach. Um, uh, to cybersecurity to ensure that uh, we are making decisions that are allowing us to um, minimize the risk to the institution, then, then that is the way we, we approach our cybersecurity. Hmm. How did you get interested in this field of study? Like, where where was the what was the genesis of your interest in uh, technology and um, cybersecurity and uh, you know this classroom support uh, what was your journey how did you get interested into it and how did you uh, end up at Colgate um, uh, this is a great question <laughs> so uh, I, th I think it's probably a series of things that happened um, I uh, through my education with my bachelor's of engineering in electronics and telecommunication I got I got exposed to uh, technology quite a bit uh, but through my master's um, uh, in telecommunications, uh, thinking about um, uh, network security is what got me interested in uh, in security. So I always knew that I want to do something uh, in security. My first job uh, was at uh, Hamilton College uh, as a student intern. Really? Uh, doing uh, in, in network services. And as, as I worked there, uh, it was quite clear to me that I want to uh, spend li my life uh, towards the mission of education. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, since then, I have I've been at um, higher ed institutions. Uh, after Hamilton College, I, I did um, uh, my, my stint at uh, Kenyon for about uh, 16 and a half years, I think. Uh, and uh, during that time, uh, I was able to, and quite fortunate, uh, to not just be um, working in network security, uh, but also got a, an opportunity to work in multiple areas within technology. And, and seeing uh, the way technology can transform lives, uh, seeing uh, the role of technology and the value that it creates uh, at an institution of liberal arts was something that um, uh, sort of informed my being um, uh, someone who wanted to be in higher education. And that is something that I've continued to do uh, and a mission that I believe in. Uh, when when the opportunity to work at uh, Colgate um, came, uh, it was it was a uh, it was a no brainer in some ways. Mm. Uh, it was not as if I was actively looking, but but when when the opportunity came, uh, when I visited the campus, when I met the people, uh, when I met with um, uh, Dr. Hux um, uh, in the search committee and and the future colleagues, it was clear to me that this was the right next step for, for, for me, uh, where I can come in, uh, continue uh, to do the work uh, in support of mission of the liberal arts, but also uh, figure out a way uh, to, have, uh, to have technology uh, transform um, 
education in some ways uh, to have technology transform the lives of uh, students. Um, and I, I'm forever grateful and thankful for the opportunity um, for Dr. Hux and President Casey have, have provided me. So thank you. <laughs> One of the core principles of the third century plan right now is thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion in all departments. And I'm curious how that uh, plays into our tech, how we think about technology. Yeah. Um, how how does the Colgate ITS think about uh, DEI initiatives and how does that play into your work? Yeah, uh, thank you for that question. This is, again, a very important question and something that is uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, uh, I'm currently, um, as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, on the advisory committee for EDUCAUSE for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, uh, and through through that, uh, there is uh, work that I've been fortunate to be involved with, thinking about uh, various areas of how IT can um, IT can um, affect change uh, when it comes to DEI. Uh, I'm currently on a, on a uh, subgroup uh, that thinks about um, recruiting, hiring, and retention uh, when it comes to DEI, and I would add A to it um, for accessibility. Um, and um, uh, just thinking about um, various various ways in, um, in, in our recruiting process uh, where we advertise the kind of language we use uh, in our in our job descriptions, the kind of um, the kind of um, um, uh, questions that we ask uh, when it comes to when it comes to candidate. Uh, so when I came came to Colgate, one of the few things um, that that we looked at was ensuring that uh, there was anti-bias training that each search committee went through. Um, I, I'm so glad that this is something that is standard now across all job searches. Um, including a diversity statement was another plus uh, which which we thought about when it came to uh, recruiting. Uh, so a, a lot of efforts um, towards um, ensuring that we are um, bringing um, the most diverse pool possible. Um, within ITS, we have a DEI subgroup that is co-led by my colleagues uh, Christine Moskell and uh, Sarah Curtis. Uh, we have done uh, quite a bit of work, including uh, presenting a poster at a conference uh, about the kinds of things when it comes to uh, onboarding, recruiting, as well as uh, accessibility work. Uh, so when when you when you ask the question, how is ITS involved? So we think about. Um, uh, what the best practices are for onboarding, uh, what the best practices are when it comes to uh, recruiting, but also um, the technology uh, that I mentioned earlier uh, that is in the classrooms or in spaces across campus, and do they have um, uh, accessibility in ways that you, you don't feel that you have to be singled out, that you, you can participate in the experience no matter where it is, uh, uh, through technology, right? So uh, whether you are on a website and making sure that you can read uh, the, 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 the content of the website or um, whether you're accessing a space through, through your card reader or um, 
whether you are um, uh, listening on a lecture, um, uh, you want to have an equitable experience. Um, so th those are some of the ways that ITS uh, thinks about DEI. Uh, the other and a very critical area that we think about is data. So thinking about how the systems collect data and the data that we can use in order to enhance lives uh, across the board um, and, and working with um, uh, wonderful uh, Renee Madison, uh, thinking about um, sort of how we can have systems that can collect data uh, th that can be utilized in ways um, uh, to address certain areas of the ENI. So a um, multitude of things uh, that you think about. The, the, one of the latest example is um, sort of gender identification. Uh, I believe New York State has, has made some changes when it comes to the driver's license and what you can choose when it comes to the, the gender identification. And uh, ensuring that we have systems that are able to take advantage of that data. Um, and uh, it's just not one system, it is uh, multiple systems across the board. Uh, and ensuring that if the data is submitted, how can that data be uh, reflected on the various systems that people interact with? So there is different kinds of DEI work uh, that, that we are engaged with, and this is just uh, sort of the tip of the iceberg. Hmm. So your professional life is devoted to relying or learning about new technologies, implementing new technologies, computer systems. And what makes you always wonder, is there anything you do at home that is decidedly analog, where you ignore <laughs> technology and you prefer to do something an old-fashioned way? Oh, it's uh, a great question. Um, um, I guess the answer could be no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 I was just thinking about it. I mean, um, uh, not currently, but my previous house was pretty high-tech. Um, I had my doors, um, the locks um, um, that that were remotely accessible. <laughs> we had uh, fire alarms, smoke detectors, uh, uh, HVAC that that were all remotely controlled. Uh, the the refrigerator, the the cooking range, the um, uh, the washer. The, everything is <laughs> online these days, and. Uh, the, the lights in the house, uh, I, I took advantage of all of that. Uh, but I, I still like to do things um, that are non-tech, and um, I enjoy cooking quite a bit. Um, and um, related, I enjoy uh, brewing. So, oh, really? Uh, so, so yes, I do take advantage of some technology there, but I feel like those are analog things. I, I do enjoy... Um, Spending time with my, my with my with their children and uh, reading a book to my three year old, so nice. uh, and try not to use technology when it comes to that. Sure. Although um, they probably use more technology than um, I ever did in my childhood. So, all right, what are you brewing? Uh, currently, nothing. Uh, oh. But my favorites probably are uh, a wheat beer um, or perhaps uh, uh, Belgian ales. So. Nice. All right, we're at question 13. I, I kind of cheated here, and I'm, I'm doing kind of two fun questions. Oh. Um, so 
There's an old gag in the IT world uh, about when people call with a problem, and uh, the first thing that they always ask is, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? Yeah. So number one, is that the best advice? <laughs> and number two, why does it usually seem to work? Uh, is that the best, best advice? Uh, sometimes it is. Uh, sometimes it is. Uh, and uh, we, we have situations where um, uh, the only way that uh, – things are back to the way they are is you turn them off and turn them back on. I think the act of turning it on, uh, so turning it off and then turning it on, uh, sometimes uh, resets it to to a default uh, and, and the system perhaps knows what needs to happen after that. Um, may, maybe the system, depending on the system, has gotten into a, uh, a situation where um, uh, it is not supposed to do something and yet it is uh, outputting some sort of a an error and um, and turning it off resets it to back to uh, the default state uh, and so that that's why that advice works um, although sometimes issues are slightly more complicated than that so. I'm sure uh, I'm sure well thank you Nirajan well, for, thank for you. coming on the podcast today. thank I you I really appreciate it oh, it, it is an honor all right uh, tell your friends and family about the show. If you have any questions, email 13 at colgate.edu. That's 13, the number. Um, we are going to have probably one more show this summer before we go into our annual hiatus um, before the fall semester. And I want to thank everyone for, for joining the show. Um, we are now up to 60 episodes strong, and I am very excited to um, – you know, produce a lot more. And feel free to send your ideas. Uh, if there's anyone you'd like to see on the program, uh, if there are any topics you'd like us to cover, we are more than open to, to new ideas. So thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. And until next time, keep asking questions. 13 is a production of the Colgate University Office of University Communications. Executive Producer, Vice President for Communications, Laura Jack. Audio Engineering by Brian Ness. Logo Art by Catrail Pritz. Research Assistance provided by Colgate sophomore and media relations intern, Marianne Lemon. And I am your host and producer, Dan DeVries. Visit colgatemagazine.com and colgateresearchmagazine.com for more in-depth university news and research stories.